You're listening to Jar of Hearts by Jennifer Hillier. Read for you by January Lavoie. Gio's new iPhone rings loudly, waking her from the first real sleep she's had since Hazelwood. She reaches for it blindly and checks the number. It's nothing she recognizes, but she answers it anyway. An automated voice speaks robotically in her ear, the words pausing as the computer generates the sentence. You have a collect call from... Cat. Cat's voice here, and Geo's heart leaps. At Hazelwood Correctional Institution. This call will cost you $1.75 and will appear on your next billing statement. To accept, press 1. To decline, please press 2 or hang up. She presses 1, and a moment later, Kat's voice is in her ear. Georgina? You there, hun? I'm here, Gio says, and despite her grogginess, her eyes well up with tears. It's only been a week, but it's the longest she's gone without hearing her friend's voice since they met five years ago. God damn it, it's so good to hear from you. Why haven't you called sooner? I wanted to give you a chance to get settled. Last thing I figured you needed was to be reminded of this hellhole. Geo can hear the low hum of Hazelwood through the phone. Voices bantering in different accents and cadences. Mexican, Polish, the melodic lilt of a woman who sounds a lot like Ella Frank. The bark of a CO telling someone to get back in line. She can picture Cat dressed in shapeless prison sweats two sizes too large, standing at the bank of payphones. There are exactly six mounted to the wall, no dividers between them, no privacy. Not that privacy mattered anyway. All calls are monitored in prison. The legal ones, anyway. How are you? Gio asks. And don't bullshit me. I'm shitty, Kat says, and Gio stifles a sigh but she wants to hear it so she doesn't say anything yet. Oncologist said the cancer is spreading. I've got two new tumors in my femur. Wait, is that the thigh bone or shin bone? Thigh bone. So yeah, femur. Doc still thinks another round of chemo is the way to go, but I gotta tell you, hon, I'm not sure I'm up for it. He wants to start next week. I already feel half dead. That's because I'm not there. Gio says, feeling about as helpless as she'd ever felt. She picks at a loose stitch on her floral comforter, wishing in that moment she could be there to have this conversation in person. But ex-cons, especially ones who just got out of prison, don't normally make it onto the approved visitors list. I do have good news, though. My parole was approved. I should be out Monday. No fucking way! Gio sits straight up on the bed, feeling like she's about to cry. And you waited a whole minute to tell me that? I wanted to build the suspense. Ella Frank's brother, Samuel, had come through. And even quicker than Gio had hoped. She made a mental note to call him later and thank him again. Both for the gun and for his help convincing someone on the parole board to vote for Kat's release. It had cost Gio a lot, but it was worth every penny. I have just enough time to get your room ready, Gio said. You'll like it. It used to be my mother's sewing room. Hun, about that, 
Cat sounds hesitant. I don't know if you really want an old woman living with you. I haven't even met your father. Usually this kind of imposition is reserved for family. You are family. And don't insult me by insinuating you aren't, Gio says firmly. I talked it over with my dad. We have the room and I have the time. Besides, we won't be here long anyway. I'm working on getting a place of my own and you're coming with me when I do. Now what time can I pick you up? There's a silence on the other end of the line. From her old friend, anyway. The background is still filled with the din of prison life. Don't pick me up, Kat says, but Gio can hear the smile in her voice even from 200 miles away. I'm not going to make you drive back to this hellhole, and don't bother arguing because it's not negotiable. I'll take the bus, and maybe you can pick me up at the bus depot in Seattle. Her voice chokes up. Georgina, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this. They chat a few minutes more. Gio tells Kat a heavily edited version about how things have been at home so far, making no mention of the spray-painted messages on the garage doors, or her failed trip to the bank, or her conversation with Kaiser about the most recent dead bodies. Kat tells her one of the newbies just got her work assignment as the new hairstylist at the salon. Apparently she went to beauty school for a year, Kat sounds dubious. But I don't know, she has blue and green hair. I wouldn't go to a hairdresser with blue and green hair. Of course you wouldn't, you're 62. They say their goodbyes. Gio hangs up the phone feeling much better than she has the past couple of days. Kat's release is now something she can look forward to. There hasn't been another woman in the house since, well, since her mother died. Walt isn't crazy about the idea of another ex-con in the house, especially one he's never met before. But as an ER doctor, it's not in his nature to not help someone if he has the ability. Gio doesn't doubt they'll get along famously. She showers and gets ready for the day, blow-drying her hair, putting on a little makeup even though she has nowhere to be. She still feels discombobulated. In prison, she had a routine, things that needed to get done every day. Here, there's almost too much freedom, too much choice, and it's overwhelming. She has too much time to think. The doorbell rings as she's making breakfast, and she pads down the hallway to see who it is. She opens the door to find Kaiser standing in her driveway, snapping pictures of her Range Rover with his phone. He didn't take the unmarked today. A silver Acura is parked at the curb. He's wearing a hoodie over a T-shirt, jeans, and Nikes, and he looks nothing like the police detective he is. He looks goddamned adorable. Why are you taking pictures of my car, she calls out, and he turns and glances her way. See for yourself, he replies. She slips into a pair of flip-flops and steps out. She sees it as soon as she steps off the porch and stops. Fuck, she says, deflating. Across the side of her white Range Rover, in the same angry red paint, is the word, bitch. You have got to be fucking kidding me. She throws her hands up, staring at her SUV in frustration. It's like they knew I was going to sell it. Fuck, fuck. Kaiser snaps another picture. Let's talk inside, he says. He gives her the once over, unless you have somewhere to be. She shakes her head and he follows her back into the house. 
She catches a whiff of his cologne as he stands beside her, unzipping his hoodie, which she takes and hangs in the closet. He smells great, and she's annoyed at herself for even noticing. It's been a long time since she's been around a man who isn't her father, her lawyer, or a corrections officer. And the last man she had sex with, actual sex with penetration, was Andrew. She mentally slaps herself. It's Kaiser, stop it. What brings you by? Something new with the case, she asks, heading into the kitchen where her bagel has already popped out of the toaster. Coffee? I know how to use the Nespresso now. Coffee would be good, thanks. He leans against the counter. I guess I'm here because I didn't like how we ended things the other day. And how was that? You know, awkwardly. Running a hand through his hair, Kaiser sighs. With you getting angry, with me feeling bad about it. I don't know, it reminded me of being in high school. It felt shitty then and it feels shitty now. I don't enjoy upsetting you. I wasn't upset, Gio says, although in hindsight she supposes she was. They did argue about Calvin James, which ironically is the only thing they've ever argued about, even going all the way back to high school. Anyway, why do you care? Because I care about you, he says, taking the cup of coffee she offers him. He sips it black. I've always cared about you. You're the girl who... He stops abruptly, his cheeks flushing slightly, and looks away. She looks up at him. The girl who got away? I was going to say that, but no, you're not. Kaiser meets her gaze. Because that implies I once had you. We both know I never did. They stand in silence for a moment, Kaiser sipping his coffee, Gio ignoring the bagel that's now cooling in the toaster. She notices he's not wearing a wedding ring. Did you ever get married, Kai? She asks, her voice soft. He seems surprised by the question. Nods. Briefly. It wasn't a good relationship. She's married to someone else now and they have a kid. Andrew got married. They have twins. I saw him the other day by accident. He was with his family. How'd he look? Terrible, she says, and they both chuckle. But it made me realize that he wasn't for me. That I was chasing the wrong thing. I've always chased the wrong thing. She lets her words hang in the air for a moment. Kaiser doesn't respond, but his eyes are flicking over her clothes, her face, her hair. Not in an intrusive way, in an observant way, and she begins to feel a bit self-conscious. Which is ridiculous, because it's Kaiser. His opinion of her appearance isn't supposed to matter. But she finds herself feeling glad she washed her hair that morning, that she took a minute to swipe on a coat of mascara and a bit of tinted lip balm. The ship lipstick he left her with, Cinnamon Heart, she stuck in a bottom drawer. She didn't try it on. It's now beside the mason jar that wouldn't break, where it belongs. You look good, he says, rested. I'm sleeping better, she says. It's amazing the things you take for granted. I can take showers longer than eight minutes with water as hot as I like and without having to wear shower shoes or worry that someone is going to open the curtain before I'm finished. My dad made steaks last night for dinner. And this morning I got a call from a friend in Hazelwood who's getting out soon. She's coming to stay here. She has cancer. She, she doesn't have much time. 
Kaiser nods, a small smile crossing his face. He understands. He knew about her mother. Was it terrible? He asks. Prison? In some ways it was horrible, she says. And in some ways it was fine. You adapt, you know. She's aware that he's now standing too close, smelling too good, looking too clean. She takes a step back. I took a few pictures of your car, he says. I'll file a report when I get back to the precinct. I don't think anything will come of it, though. It's not like we can get a search warrant for every house in the neighborhood to see who has a can of red spray paint in their garage. Any ideas who did it? Well, it's not the first time, Gio says, and she explains about the other two messages left on the garage door. I'd love to blame it on that old bat across the street, but she wouldn't do something like this. A neighbor like me reflects poorly on her, and she wouldn't draw attention to it. Mrs. Heller? She didn't recognize me when I talked to her last week, Kaiser says with a smile. She didn't remember that I was the one who broke her window with a baseball. Gio laughs, delighted. I forgot about that. And remember she came out yelling with that curler in her hair? Which fell out and you stepped on it and it broke in half. And she picked it up and she looks at me and says, you're a tornado of destruction, young man, they say in unison, dissolving into laughter. They laugh deeply and fully and for a long time. It hurts Gio's stomach and it feels great. What was I, 16? Kaiser can barely get the words out. Fifteen, Gio says, wiping a tear. It was at the end of freshman year. I remember because that was the last time my hair was short. Your birthday weekend, he says. I forgot you're older than me. By three months, she punches his arm. And it's really rude to keep reminding me of that. You could pass for 25. I feel 45. Same. He smiles down at her. And just like that, everything feels better. So why are you selling the Range Rover? I don't want it anymore. It's too expensive and too pretentious. The kind of thing an affluent young executive drives when she wants everyone to know she's an affluent young executive. She gives him a small smile. I'm not that person anymore. Mind you, I'm not the person I was when I was 16 either. So who are you then? His tone is gentle. An unemployed ex-con who has no idea what the fuck to do with the rest of her life. It's the most honest answer Gio can give. And I'm learning that it doesn't matter how sorry I am. And I am so fucking sorry. Or how much time I spend in prison, or how many college degrees I have, or how much money I made. I will always be judged on the one terrible, horrific thing I did when I was 16. I'm not complaining about that because I know I deserve it, but I don't know how to make up for it. Because if I could, I would. So reinvent yourself, Kaiser says, and it's only when he touches her cheek that she realizes she's crying. I thought I did that already. How many times can one person press the reset button? As many times as it takes. But you have to move past it. You have to forgive yourself, even if nobody else does. Why they're even having this conversation, Gio doesn't know. But she feels an overwhelming need to explain herself to him. And he seems to want to know. It's not that I don't think I can move past it, she says. It's that I did move past it. I think everyone might have forgiven me back then had I told the truth right away, and had I turned Calvin in right after it happened.
I was 16, only a kid, and kids make mistakes. But what upsets people isn't just what I did that night. It's that I had the audacity to go on with my life. I went to college, climbed the corporate ladder, bought a nice car, got myself a rich fiancé. I built a successful life on top of the shitty, horrific thing I did, without owning up to it, without paying for it first. That's what people can't forgive. And I understand it, I really do. Because it's almost as terrible as the thing I actually did. Wow. Kaiser lets out a long breath. That's pretty fucking self-aware. I've had a lot of time to think about it, she says. It's my fault more women are dead. It's my fault that little boy is dead. You couldn't have known he would go on to do those things, Kaiser says. You didn't know who Calvin was. Back then, he might not even have known who he was. Geo searches Kaiser's face for any hint of sarcasm or condescension and finds none. If anything, she sees kindness, compassion. Why are you being nice to me? Because we're friends, Kaiser says. We have history. That means something to me. You're going to catch him, right? He nods. I did it once. I can do it again. He hesitates. There's actually something I need to tell you about the victim. About the little boy. What about him? He was adopt. His cell phone rings loudly and they both jump, making Gio realize exactly how close they'd been standing to each other. He pulls it out, checks the display, and frowns. Holding up a finger, he steps into the living room and she can hear him speaking in low tones. He's back a moment later. I have to go, he says to her, slipping his phone into his jeans pocket. You were going to tell me about the little boy. Next time, he says. It was more of an FYI anyway, but there's no time to get into it now. There's a lead on Calvin. She freezes, a sour taste at the back of her throat. What kind of lead? Nothing that concerns you right now. It may not pan out. Kaiser heads for the door. He grabs his hoodie from the closet, slips it on, then stops. You're sure there's nothing you can tell me? Nothing at all? Gio thinks of the letters she received in prison. Ten of them. Only one of them read. The rest are in a box upstairs under the bed, where secrets hide. There's nothing, she says, touching his arm briefly. But I understand why you keep asking me. I do. And if anything changes, I'll let you know. She closes the door behind him, locks it, and lets out a long breath. There are things that came out at the trial. Ugly things. Horrific things. She told the court, and by extension, the public, what they needed to know. The rest she keeps to herself, and always will. She wasn't perfect, but neither was Angela. In every story, there's a hero and villain. Sometimes one person can be both. Gio watched in a haze as her best friend stared at her boyfriend. Angela's lips were parted slightly, her tongue skimming lightly over her top lip. Her signature move, something she did when there was something or someone she liked. Gio used to think she wasn't aware she was doing it, but of course she was. She saw that now. Calvin took in the sight of them in their short dresses, the way they were leaning into each other even though they were technically standing still. He turned the TV off. 
You girls want something to drink, he said, grabbing a t-shirt off the bed and pulling it over his head. If he noticed Angela watching him, he wasn't acting like it. I've got beer, orange juice, vodka, rum, coke. Rum and coke for me, Angela said. Orange juice, Gio said. She walked toward the bed, shrugging out of her coat, then sat down on the edge of the mattress, wondering where Angela would choose to sit. The apartment was tiny, 500 square feet, if that. Other than Calvin's bed, there was only a love seat and a small dining table with two wooden chairs. But Angela didn't sit. She fiddled with the stereo instead, leaning over it with her back to the room, the hem of her dress hiked up to reveal an eighth of an inch of ass cheeks. As if Gio weren't here. As if Angela were visiting her own boyfriend. Calvin was back with the drinks, and Gio took a long gulp of hers, gagging a little as the strong liquid went down. There was vodka in it, which she hadn't asked for, but she sensed she might need it. He handed Angela her drink and came back to sit beside Gio, kissing her, his lips lingering on hers for a few seconds. She felt herself relax. You taste sweet, he said, and drunk. I kind of like it, even though I don't like you drinking without me. I wasn't really drinking. I just had some fruit. He frowned, not understanding what she meant by that, but he didn't ask for clarification. It's late. Where does your dad think you are? Her house, Gio said, looking at Angela. Her best friend was watching them with a small smile on her face, but behind it there was something else. Jealousy. And Gio liked it. Because just like the day they met Calvin, it was role reversal. She was never the girl who made other girls jealous, and she was enjoying being that girl for once. And where do her parents think she is? Calvin asked. He was looking at Angela, too, but his expression was hard to read. My house, Gio said. It was warm in the apartment, and the alcohol was making her warmer. She reached down to pull her ankle boots off. Angela already had her shoes and jacket off and was wandering around, taking it all in, not that there was much to see. Small kitchen with a fridge, stove, and a few cabinets. The bathroom was only large enough for a shower stall, tiny sink, and toilet. Calvin's bed was in the living room slash bedroom, covered in a red plaid comforter, and the wall unit with the stereo and TV was across from it. The love seat was against the side wall. This little apartment was nothing special, but Gio loved it. Angela reached into her bag and pulled out her camera. Come on, kiss again. I want a picture of you two. You're both so fucking hot. She pointed the camera at them and it flashed. Come on, you guys, kiss. Calvin kissed her and the camera flashed again. Creep by Radiohead was playing, and Angela turned the volume up. The studio was soundproofed, so there was no risk of disturbing the other tenants or the neighbors next door. Gio finished her drink and Calvin made her another. The room was beginning to spin again. She'd only been drunk once before, sophomore year, at Angela's when her parents were away and her dad's liquor cabinet was left unlocked. She finished her drink, then climbed up on the bed to lie down. No more. She was cutting herself off. She was one sip away from puking. The camera flashed a few more times, and then it was in Calvin's hands. In the center of the small apartment, Angela twirled. 
The short skirt of her tiny dress billowed up around her as she spun, showing more of her thighs, her skin the perfect shade of golden thanks to her last tanning bed session. Gio caught a glimpse of Angela's white lace bikini panties, but before she could get upset, Calvin pointed the camera at her and she forced herself to smile. She coughed into the back of her hand, tasting something sour. Calvin noticed and came over to the bed, rubbing her bare leg. You feeling okay? I'm fine, Gio said, but in truth, she was beginning to feel queasy. Grabbing his t-shirt, she pulled him closer to her and said into his ear, Stop fucking staring at her. She wants to be stared at. Calvin shrugged her off. It's no big deal. You don't like it when other guys stare at me. Because you're not asking for the attention. Therefore, it's my duty to defend you. The music was loud, and he leaned over to speak into her ear, his breath hot on her neck. But girls like your friend here, they wither and die if guys don't validate them. I knew that from the minute we met. She's the girl guys fuck. You're the girl guys marry. You're the one I want, Georgina. Only you. Sure, they were only words, but they did make her feel better. Gio kissed him. He kissed her back, hungrily, his hands running up her thighs and under her dress as he pushed her back onto the bed. Oh my God, you guys, Angela said. Get a room. We have one already, Calvin said. Angela finished her drink in one gulp, her second one since they'd been here. Or maybe it was her third. Some of it dribbled down her chin and she wiped it away sloppily, almost losing her balance in the process. Sorry, we'll stop, Gio said with a giggle, her queasiness under control for the moment. But they didn't stop. Calvin's erection pressed against her hip, and she subtly rubbed against it as he continued to kiss her neck. The vodka was making her uncharacteristically uninhibited. Or maybe it was because she was the one with the hot guy who couldn't keep his hands off her, and Angela was the third wheel. For once. Radio had ended, and the song changed to Nine Inch Nails' Closer. A sexy song if there ever was one. Dance for us. Calvin said, lifting his head long enough to smile at Angela. Come on, you know you want to. Angela laughed, swaying a bit. The heavy beat was easy to dance to and the perfect tempo, not too fast, not too slow. She set her glass on top of the stereo, turned up the volume another notch and began to move. A trained dancer after years of jazz and ballet classes, same as Gio, she raised her arms up over her head, her long hair trailing down her back all the way to her waist. As she moved, she mouthed the lyrics. You let me violate you. You let me desecrate you. She slowly moved her hips, then lowered an arm and cocked a finger toward Gio. Come dance with me. Gio laughed and shook her head, but Calvin seemed to like the idea. He cupped her breast, then kissed her again, a lopsided grin on his handsome face. I know I'd enjoy that. Leaning closer, he spoke into her ear again. You're hotter than she is any day of the week. Help me. I've got no soul to sell. Bolstered by the booze and Calvin's words, Gio got up off the bed and joined her friend in the middle of the room. Angela grabbed her around the waist and turned her so that Gio's ass was pressing into her crotch. 
She ran her hands down Gio's shoulders, stopping at her breasts, which she massaged for a few seconds. Shocked, but too drunk to protest, she and Angela had never touched each other like that before. She looked over at Calvin. There was no doubt he was loving every bit of it. Lying back on the bed, propped up on a pillow with arms behind his head, his grin said everything. Gio continued to dance with her best friend, the music wrapping around them like a blanket. I want to fuck you like an animal. I want to feel you from the inside. Aware of Calvin's eyes on them, Gio turned and faced her friend. Angela's eyes were glazed, her face lit up with drunk amusement. Because she sensed Calvin wanted her to, Gio leaned in and kissed her. She felt the other girl jolt in surprise. They'd never done that before either, but there was something about knowing Calvin was watching that was a total turn on. Angela must have felt the same because her lips parted and they started making out. Hard. Angela's lips were soft. She was smaller than any guy and gentler. It all felt more polite somehow. Wetter. Sweeter. She tasted of Coke and rum and lip gloss. It wasn't exactly good, but it wasn't really bad either. It was different. And not as weird as Gio might have thought it would be if she'd thought about it before at all. Calvin was behind her now, his hands snaking up her dress, his lips on the side of her neck. Angela was still in front of her, and they were still kissing, but her friend's eyes were open, watching everything, missing nothing. But then the room began to spin again, the queasiness back with a vengeance. Gio hated throwing up. She would not throw up no matter what. It would be the ultimate buzzkill, and they were all having a good time. Weren't they? Need a break, she said, gasping a little. She extricated herself from the group. You guys keep dancing. She fell back onto the bed, almost sighing with pleasure as her back hit the mattress. It felt so good to lie down, to close her eyes, to let the pulsing music wash over her. She could hear Calvin saying something and Angela laughing, and after a few moments, she forced her eyes open to peer at them. They were still dancing, Angela grinding up against Calvin. Her boyfriend was shaking his head, but he was grinning too. He pulled Angela closer, wrapping his arms around her, his hips pressed into hers as they moved to the beat. It bothered Gio. Of course it did. But it was all in good fun, right? Angela was her best friend. Calvin was her boyfriend. They loved her. They weren't going to do anything inappropriate. It would be all right. Gio could take a little snooze and wake up refreshed, ready to keep partying. She closed her eyes, and it was blissful. The music faded. The world went black. Gio didn't know how long she was out, but her ears woke up before her eyes did. The music had stopped. She heard a grunt, followed by heavy breathing, and then another grunt. When she finally opened her eyes, she was met with darkness, and it took her a moment to focus. All the lights in Calvin's apartment were off now, except for the nightlight in the kitchen, casting a dim glow. Still lying down, her head felt like it weighed a million pounds and there was an intense throbbing behind both eyes. She forced herself to pinpoint the sound of the breathing. She spotted Calvin on the love seat against the side wall. He was on top of someone. 
Geo could make out an arm dangling over the edge, a flash of dress and bare legs spread wide open. Her boyfriend was in between them, moving at a rhythmic pace. Angela. White lace panties were crumpled on the floor. Calvin's jeans were piled beside them, along with his boxer briefs. Gio could see the mounds of his bare ass cheeks flexing as he thrusted, grunting as he did it, making a sound she had never heard him make before. Her boyfriend and her best friend were having sex. Gio opened her mouth to say something, but no words came out. Her throat was tight, and her stomach felt like it was churning butter. She tried to sit up, but her muscles were jello, jiggly and soft and without substance, utterly useless. She tried to speak again, but the words still wouldn't come. Her eyes were adjusting to the dimness, and it was then that she caught sight of Angela's face. Her best friend's eyes were open but glazed. Her lips parted. The two girls locked eyes, and Angela's mouth formed a word that Gio couldn't hear. But there was no mistaking what the word was, and Gio wasn't even a lip reader. No. Calvin grunted and made one final thrust, his body shaking as he finished. He pulled out and Gio could see his penis, still erect, glistening in the dim light. He hadn't worn a condom. He stood up, reaching for his underwear and his jeans. Angela remained on the couch in the same position she'd been in, legs still splayed, dress hiked up to her waist, vagina exposed. Her eyes were dull, her face ashy, and when she moved her head, a tear ran down her temple, disappearing into her ear. She moaned a little, finally bringing her legs together. The fog in Gio's head was heavy. It seemed impossible to process what just happened. What had they done? Had Angela even wanted it? Did she even know? Gio's throat opened up and the words finally came. What did you do, she said to Calvin, her voice hoarse. Her boyfriend turned and saw Gio staring. He grimaced. She wanted it, he said. She was all over me. She wouldn't stop. It wasn't my fault. So if you're going to get mad at anybody, get mad at her. He bent down and picked up the ball of panties on the floor, tossing them into Angela's lap. Cover yourself up. There was no mistaking the disgust in his voice. On the love seat, bottom half still naked and exposed, Angela began whimpering. It was the worst sound Gio had ever heard. Her best friend sounded like a baby, the sobs small and shallow and weak. What did you do? Gio's gaze focused on Calvin once again. This is... This is not okay. She struggled to sit up. Her skull was pounding like someone was taking a basketball and throwing it at her head over and over again. He wouldn't stop, Angela finally said, looking at Gio, her eyes wide and her voice full of shock. I said no. I asked him to stop. He wouldn't stop. Shut up, bitch, Calvin said to her. She wanted it he said again to Gio. On the love seat, her friend's sobs grew louder, deeper. Your friend is a whore. It shouldn't have happened, but she got me so worked up there was no way I could. You raped me, 
Angela's scream was like a bolt of lightning, cutting through the air powerfully and without warning. You fucking raped me, you sick son of a bitch! Gio rubbed the spot on her temple where her headache was getting worse. Calvin was staring at Angela, his lips curled up, his eyes narrow, his hands clenched. Gio recognized that look. She had seen it before and she knew exactly what it meant. Angela had to stop screaming. The screaming would make it worse. She needed to warn her friend, but her brain was working in slow motion and the words wouldn't come together. Shut up, Calvin said to Angela. You're a fucking whore and you asked for it. I didn't ask for it. You raped me, you animal. Angela's screams were feral. She yanked her dress down over her thighs, trying to sit up on the couch. Her hair was stringy, falling over her face in a tangled mess. Her makeup was smudged, her eyeliner and mascara blending together in circles under her eyes. You're a sick fuck. You raped me. You hurt me. You're a disgusting son of a bitch, and I'm going to call the police, and you're going to rot in jail, you fucking sick fuck. She didn't get a chance to finish her sentence because Calvin punched her in the face. She fell back into the sofa, dazed, but seemed to come to a couple of seconds later. She leapt off the couch with surprising force and made a run for the door. Before she could get there, Calvin was on top of her once again. Only this time his hands were around her throat from behind, squeezing. She managed to wriggle away, but he grabbed her again, pulling her back by the hair, snapping her head back. He yanked his belt out of his jeans, then wrapped it around her neck and pulled, one knee on Angela's back as he held her down. Her friend's nails scratched furiously at Calvin's arms, her belly pressed into the carpet, her legs kicking and flailing in the air like she was swimming. It was all happening so fast it didn't seem real. Calvin, stop, Gio said, getting up off the bed. She managed to plant both feet on the floor, but when she took a step forward, she stumbled. Calvin, please, stop. He didn't hear her or he didn't care, but either way, he didn't stop. Angela's eyes bulged, her legs still jerking, but the fight was going out of her. Gio took another step forward, but the room spun mercilessly as she fell. She looked up from the floor as her friend stopped struggling. Still, Calvin held on for a moment longer until finally letting go, his arms dropping at his sides, the belt still clenched in one fist. Angela didn't move. Her head was turned unnaturally to one side, her cheek resting on the carpet, her lips parted. A line of drool oozed out onto her chin. Her eyes were wide open and utterly blank. She looked like a life-sized ragdoll someone had tossed onto the floor with abandon. Gio turned her head to the side and vomited. Help me with her, Calvin said to Gio, stepping over Angela. He pulled the comforter off the bed and spread it onto the floor. Come on, help me. What are you doing? Gio's stomach was heaving. Beside her, the mound of vomit was filling up the small apartment with a disgusting reek. Calvin didn't seem to notice. The smell of it made her want to retch again, and she forced herself to stand up. You hurt her. We have to call 911. We have to call an ambulance. She's dead. She's not dead. 
Geo shrieked. The idea was absolutely absurd. Of course her best friend wasn't dead. That wasn't possible. Angela Wong was a cheerleader, a good student, universally admired by everyone at St. Martin's High School. She'd been alive and sitting on Mike Bennett's lap a few hours ago, dancing with Geo, laughing, being Angela, being alive. There was no fucking way she could be dead. No. No. But yet there Angela was, sprawled out on the floor, not moving. Yes. Oh, God. Yes. Angela was dead. Because Calvin had killed her after he raped her. Gio vomited again, emptying what was left in her stomach. She needed to get out of here. She needed to get help. She needed to tell someone. You're in this too, Calvin said, as if he'd read her mind. He picked Angela up with a grunt, moving her limp body onto one side of the blanket and began to roll her up. Nonsensically, Gio was reminded of the home economics class she and Angela had taken in seventh grade when they'd learned to make spring rolls. We have to call the police, Gio said, and for the first time that night, her voice sounded coherent. Where's your phone? If you call the police, we'll both go to jail. Sweat was beating around Calvin's hairline as he grunted with exertion. You did this too. You brought her here. This isn't my fault. It's all your fault, he said, pointing at her. On reflex, she cringed. You brought her here, the both of you hardly wearing anything, and she's dancing all over me, rubbing herself all over me like the fucking slut she is. Shut up. This isn't her fault. Help me with her. Calvin said again. Let's get her out of here and we'll figure it out later. I can't, Gio said, beginning to cry. I loved her. And I love you, Calvin said. And she blinked. It was the first time he had ever said it. And if you love me, if you ever loved me, you'll help me get her out of here. You don't and we'll both go to jail. Don't let her destroy your whole life. We can make this go away. For fuck's sake, help me now. When she didn't move, he dropped his voice, and the next words he spoke were soft, gentle, and completely menacing. Georgina, please, don't make me hurt you too. Angela Wong, queen of St. Martin's and Geo's best friend, was now a rolled-up lump in the middle of the floor. Calvin was putting his shoes on. He threw a sweatshirt over his T-shirt. Then he bent over, picking up the body with effort, heaving it over his shoulder. Get the door for me, he said. They buried her in the woods behind Gio's house, the only place she could think of where there would be no traffic at that time of night. She helped her boyfriend carry her best friend's body into the woods, and it felt like they had walked 10 miles to find a spot, even though it had been only a few hundred feet. Everyone has a single defining moment in life, something that thrusts them irrevocably into a new direction, something that affects them at their core, something that changes them forever. Her last image of Angela, with dirt all over her face as Calvin shoveled soil onto her, would stay with Gio for the rest of her life.
She had seen that face every night for 14 years until the police showed up at her workplace to arrest her. Only then did the dreams stop. But the guilt? It never leaves. It hangs around like a bad smell that no amount of bleach can eliminate. You can get yourself a new life, get yourself a new love, go to jail for the terrible thing you helped do. But the guilt is still there, stinking like an invisible piece of rotting garbage underneath your bed that won't go away no matter how many attempts you make to clean it. Because that smell of rotting flesh, of rotting soul, is you. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow this podcast to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can buy the audiobook of Jar of Hearts wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Thank you.